0: This episode of Bass Streaks is brought to you by Dunlop Bass Strings. Dunlop Bass Strings are made in California and designed by the players of Dunlop to sound and feel the way a string should. With deep lows, strong fundamental punchy mids, and articulate highs. Dunlop Bass Strings offer a complete line with standard nickel and stainless round wounds, flat wounds, and super brights. They're also available in short, medium, and long scales. So go to jimdunlop.com and check out Dunlop Bass Strings. What is up, my friends? Welcome to Dunlop Presents Bass Freaks. This is a place for all of us bass freaks to chat it up, gain a little insight and inspiration, and have some fun with some great bass players. I'm your host, Josh Paul, and today we welcome Guy Pratt to the show. Welcome, 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 welcome to Bass <laughs> Freaks, Bug. There is. Woo! Woohoo! How's everybody doing? I'm good.
1: I'm all right. What have you been up to? What are you doing? I've been uh what I've been well uh, a podcasts um either things like this or but i have my own podcast show i do with Gary Kemp called the rock on tours which has been fantastic it's um number 1 on the music the apple music chart quite a lot certainly over here and um, we just get to talk to everyone we've ever wanted to talk to and it's been great because it's musicians talking to musicians and um so yeah i've just been i've been doing that i've been doing the odd session here and there and actually finally Got into rehearsals with Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets because we're going out in January. Yippee, finally, yes. two years later. Uh, but even, man, you wait two years, you get into rehearsal, and then COVID rips through the crew. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, this have is incredible.
0: Been, have you managed to stay healthy yourself?
1: I have stayed Yeah, I've managed to stay above the fray. I'm now, I'm triple jabbed. Um, and oh yeah, it's me too. I, I yeah, I get the feeling some people are just because I've definitely been in places where I should have got it. I, I feel <laughs> I'm I'm one of the lucky ones. <laughs> well, you
0: look fantastic. Let me just say for the oh, people that man. can't can't see you at home. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what um this tour coming up. So yeah, is it, who's in the band?
1: Okay, it's well, it's Nick Mason from Pink Floyd, my old bandmate of many many years and dear friend and. Uh, The band is co-fronted by uh, myself and Gary Kemp, my dear old friend from Spandau Ballet. Uh, And uh, then Lee Harris, guitarist who used to play with the Blockheads, And Dom Beacon is someone who I've worked with. He does all the keyboards. He used to work with Rick Wright, used to do all his home stuff and set up his studio. And he's also worked with The Orb and people like that. So he brings this whole kind of psychedelia 2.0 thing to it. Because what we're doing is all the really early Pink Floyd stuff that no one else does. So it's, you know, it's brilliant. It's like Pink Floyd when they're a pop group and it's just a psychedelic fun show. Daryl's seen it. And that'll be
0: everywhere in the United States, or is it? That'll be
1: everywhere. Well, I'm, well, the thing is, you know, because once COVID hit, um, obviously you had to cancel. I mean, it was a week before we started rehearsals, man. It couldn't have been worse. We've been waiting nearly a year then to get back out, so um, so obviously you have to cancel your tour. But then we had to keep rebooking because obviously, as soon as everything opened up, everyone's going to want every gig going. So we had to keep rebooking, and so we've ended up having to go to you know do the US and Canada in January. Which is the worst idea possible, especially and for some reason, because at least it, at least you get usually get the craziness of being really cold, really cold, really cold, really hot, really cold, really cold, really, <laughs> cold, really hot, really cold, really cold, really hot, really cold, and we're not going anywhere hot, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it's just going to be really, really cold, and you know, and I'm obsessing about my packing already, but I'm no, really, really looking forward to it, and of course it'll be super bubble, no one coming backstage, no, one, you know, great. <laughs> fine for me. Like when you get older, it's fine. I don't want to see anyone. I was like, go back, do the show, go back.
0: <laughs> I, you know, so I'm, I'm with you. I am with you. Ooh, so before we were uh, uh, moving on to, to other, so many different things, so many different topics, uh, we were talking about a base that is sitting behind you, and I can see it, and I know, I know the people that are listening can't see
1: it, but... It is a okay, Spectre. It's a Spectre NS2. It's from when they were, when Kramer owned the company in the 80s. And actually, this is this is a great thing that happened, Happened one of the few things, when, when lockdown happened. And I was trying to think of anything I could do to help any sort of, and uh, people kept saying, why don't you do some tuition videos? And I was thinking, well, that's the, hey, incredibly dull, and I'm not, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't know how to teach people. All, people would merely find out how little I know about playing the bass, if I try to do something like that. So I had this idea of why not just go through all the kind of well-known records I've played on and show you how I did it and show you how I played. <coughs> and wherever possible, I tried to use uh, the basses that I used, you know, and what was great was I found I still had pretty much all the basses that I'd done on all those records and on some of them, and, which is why the spectre ns2 behind me cherry red which uh, a lot of people will recognize from i think it's on both the delicate sound of thunder and the pulse live pink floyd albums awesome. but that was that was my main go-to bass in the 80s it was certainly i did all my octave pedal work on that so that's the bass i used on like a prayer by madonna and the one on, on earth song by michael yeah. jackson so uh yeah so i thought i'd get it out and it's amazing to play these songs because it's like having a conversation with your younger self you know, what I mean? wow. it's like, oh yeah, that guy. Oh, that, <laughs> I remember that guy. And the fa- and some of the stuff, I went right back to like Icehouse, which is my first sort of, pro- you know, the Australian band, which was my first sort of proper pro gig. And that was, and it was like, I don't even know who this guy is. <laughs> <laughs> it was like that. That was me becoming the guy. It was like, and it was like, oh okay, all right, all right. Just, and that was absolutely fascinating. But, yeah, but the spectre. But the the thing is, I don't play, I mean, I still have it and I love it and I love it when I play it, but it there's something about it, it belongs to a time, it kind of, to, for the stuff I'm doing, it sounds too hi-fi, it's too posh, you know mm-hmm. what I mean, it, it, yeah, it's, yeah, even though that's not, what we say is modern, is not actually modern when we say modern we mean 80s don't we really <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the funny that's when sounds got to their most modern wasn't it and then in the 90s everything started coming back again and you know every like and um and but because yeah my story with specters it, it was when I was you know the when I was only 22 I got asked to go and play on this Robert Palmer album um I, I actually got I it was because I'd done a song for the power station record I'd written a song with Robert for the power station record and he'd smuggled me into the power station and I and so I had to play in front of Bernard Edwards which was just the most terrifying fucking thing of my life and um he uh, and, but then when Robert asked Bernard to produce his album he said hey get that English kid of yours I like him so I get hired by Bernard Edwards like and so but uh-uh. I mean, yeah, I should have quit. Yeah, no, it's still that album, Riptide, the one with "Addicted Love" on it. The bass credit on it says bass: Bernard Edwards and Guy Pratt. It's like I should have quit then. <laughs> 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 but. Uh, <laughs> But And I turned up, I, and I, he actually said, that, and it was in Nassau in the Bahamas, he said, don't bring a bass. I was like, ooh, all right. It was if I wasn't scared. So I turned up with that one. He said, I thought you'd like to play this. And it was the music map. It was the fucking chic music map. That's what wow. I played on the album. And But the he was playing a Spectre. It's the first time I'd ever seen one. And uh, so, which just also meant it, well, that's obviously the best bass in the world, isn't it? Because Bernard is playing. And I then just decided I just wanted a Spectre. And it wasn't, when I got the Floyd gig, when suddenly people just give you stuff you know and I'd never had that and I was it was quite embarrassing now looking back when I was playing all the wrong bases for the gig all active all you know not a precision in sight and um and and because and again because Spectre were owned by Kramer I guess it wasn't wasn't such a high-end instrument so they were just throwing them at me but and that became you know my absolute favorite so and so she's still here Beautiful. I love the story. So, going go. back to to revisiting
0: some of the lines that you've played and recorded on on um, yeah. do you feel like when you're when you're going back to them your approach has changed at all playing the lines or you try to uh, ch-
1: stay pretty true? Oh, no, I mean to play that. Well, it's in it's what's interesting is some of the ones, I mean, my favorite stuff was the stuff from the Toy and album. The the project, which is this sort of c- big cult thing, all American musicians I know love that. Give me huge props. No one in England knows what it is. I said it's like it's like my Velvet Underground album, where okay. it's like three hundred people bought it, but they all started a band. Yeah. and it's kind of <laughs> you know it's <laughs> and uh, and and that's and also it's because it was a, a band project, you know, it was with Pat Leonard and Kevin Gilbert, and we had months sitting in the studio in LA, and it's all your best work always happens like that you know because the trouble with being a session dog is is let's get him in because he's really fast so you come in and play and that was always been my thing i'm really quick and i come in and i play something but, but the annoying thing with that is kind of you know you're, you're driving away from the session going oh fuck, i could have done that oh no ah. i couldn't order oh why not i do that when you know and it's it's because time is just the greatest luxury for working out parts and so you know because that was in a band environment and so that stuff I found the stuff that was, had been worked on over a long time. Even though it's like 30 years ago, you come back and your fingers are just right there. And even if it's not how I play now, it's like, that's so what it is. You know, it didn't feel awkward playing any of it. There's a couple of things. I mean, what is quite funny is because that thing of my chops was so up back then. There's a couple of things where I just go, really? Really? What, what is that shit? Ready? <laughs> 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 the, fun- I've got, I, the funniest one I had like that by the way it was a few years ago uh julian lennon's dear old friend of mine and he got me i went down to his place to to play on an album of his and uh and he said oh listen i don't even remember but there's one night years ago in la we'd been out right we'd gone back to his house at three in the morning you know trashed and he'd put up a song and i'd come up with this bass part for it. and he said and it was you know that rare thing sometimes it works you know you're really trashed and some sometimes something happens not anymore you know i'm sober now but and and <laughs> and, and something that. clearly didn't i was like god that's that's actually a really impressive line that's amazing because yeah i mean so will you You know i'm cutting the song for the record will you do it I went yeah sure and he had to leave and go into and a go for some meeting or something so I had about three four hours on work my own with the engineer and I, swear, I was going this I can't believe I, I could do this when I was twatted I mean this is really <laughs> really difficult really complicated I spent hours and I managed to just about to get it right but I just don't take and then Julian came back and went oh by the way you do know it's two bass tracks <laughs> 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 what about all day no wonder <laughs>
0: That is awesome. That is awesome. Oh my goodness. Um, okay, so you have the Spectre behind you. Now, yes. what is the one over your other shoulder? The one on my see?
1: other shoulder is a Sorry no, If you, this is uh my nineteen sixty stack knob jazz bass, Ooh. which was my wedding present from David Gilmore. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah, and uh, I mean, the story behind, and it's a beautiful, I always play on his stuff when I go, uh, you know, whenever, anything you hear of me on a David Gilmore solo record is that. And I always get it out for, I take it out and tour with David, but no one else, no one else gets that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) As they, as they shouldn't. Yeah. (laughs) It's a a lovely story because for years, you know, like, Daryl, I'm sure you know that, you you know, there's that thing of the stack knob was like the holy grail of basses. There was this thing, you know, it's like, why did they stop making them like that? But a good one is the Holy Grail. There's a lot of not so good ones around. And, you know, they're the most expensive bases there are, right, collector-wise to find. And I used to go, I was looking for them everywhere, and I could never find quite the one. But, and obviously, obviously David had the perfect one. Of course he did, right? <laughs> and, you know, it was absolutely perfect. And, and David was always really, really good to me in terms of, if I have wanted to borrow a guitar or borrow an amp or anything, he was always like, yeah, yeah, help stuff to anything. I said, oh, can I borrow the stack knob? No. <laughs> uh, and it, which wasn't him being mean; it was him winding me up. You know, it was just like I said. It's like no, I, yeah, but yeah. You know, there's a hundred other places you can borrow, but not nah, not that one. And so it, it became this routine that on the last night of any leg, you know, when we have the last night party in sort of David's suite at Four Seasons and wherever we were, and it gets about three in the morning, well, about five in the morning, I'm going right, David, I'll give you thirty grand for that guitar. No, I'll, I'll give you 50 grand for that guitar. No, I'll give you 100 grand for that guitar. Guy, you haven't got 100 grand. No, true, but. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I never, you know, and then the day I got married, um, uh, I sort of, Gala, my wife then, you know, now ex-wife, but very, very close, it's all good. Um, we, we got back to the house and there was this huge case outside with a pink bow. And he's just given it to me Wow
0: <laughs> That's a good friend Yeah that is a good, and Well and a I thanked good him
1: Because he went he went, Yeah it hurt It hurt I've got to tell you It did hurt <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> So when did you actually Start with uh, the band With Pink Floyd With Pink Floyd Yeah uh,
1: 1987 Okay uh, Yeah um, And How did that okay. all come about? Uh, well, I, I kind of, I'd, I'd been playing for this band Dream Academy who David produced. So I sort of, he knew me from that, but that, but that just, I didn't really help. But then he, I came across him um, when I was working with Brian Ferry. He used to come in and play guitar on stuff quite a lot. And so and I, that's what, I mean, he already knew about me, but I think that's when he thought maybe I was worth taking seriously. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you know you know
0: kind of like tender where you look at it and then you i don't i mean he looks okay but or you know he or she yeah. or whatever but uh i don't know if i can take him well let's swipe and check it out okay
1: yeah, yeah exactly s- sort of like that so, but different yeah exactly but um <laughs> and, and then there's this terrible thing and there's fun and where uh I went to Thailand on holiday and this was back in the days when, of course, you just had answer phones and um, went to Thailand on holiday. I come back and there's just fucking 15 messages from David Gilmore going, oh God, listen, I'm doing this gig. It was an Amnesty International, you know, those secret policemen's ball gigs. I'm doing the Amnesty International gig uh, with Kate Bush and would love you to play bass. It's like, what, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what, what, <laughs> what, and there's 10 messages. And then of course the gig happened a week before I got back. It's just like, uh, oh my God. And do you know what? The worst thing is, is, is um, four years ago, I went on holiday to Thailand again. And then I get all these messages from Zach Starkey going, Guy, the Who need a bass player for a day in the studio. And it's like, well, I've got to stop going to Thailand. <laughs> 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 So, uh, but yeah, but, and and so I, I remember I got back from time and I was just distraught. It's like, this is my one, my one chance to, be, you know, Kate Bush as well, you know, because she doesn't play live. And then, um, but then I'd I read a thing in what was then this new music magazine, Q, about Floyd getting back together. And, you know, the three of them, I thought, oh, that's interesting. That could be cool. And thought no more of it. And then I get a call from Ale- from David in LA. And it was a, it's a, you know, I always remember it. Because he's he's always wound me up and he knows I'll always rise to it. And it's never got any better. And he he just said, to, oh hi God, I don't know if know, but listen, I'm I'm getting Floyd back together and we're going on tour for 13 months. Wow, that's amazing. Because yeah, so two questions. Um, are you interested and are you available? So I I could possibly muster some interest i think <laughs> and he said are you available i went yeah i'm available we Went, oh you're not working then we went, no 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 i am. <laughs> I, have to move, I have to move loads of things around <laughs> and is- then that one you know and and uh, the rest is history and then we you know we did that tour, we did that insane 13 month tour and then and then the, 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 this whole period for me was nuts just at the end of that tour Pat Leonard came to see the show and it was in Washington DC. And he said, what are you doing when this is over? And I am thinking, God, what am I doing? I mean, I what am I doing? I mean, what, what is there?" <laughs> I was kind of, you know, it's kind of, I think maybe I should just top myself. I mean, I can't think, what do you go back to after this? Right. And he just said, well, do you want to come and play on the Madonna record? Like, oh, well, that'll do. <laughs> 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 so I, I, so I literally finished that tour, then went out to LA and did that album with Madonna. And I came back and had three trips to LA and then, had to then we went back out again with the same show in 89 uh, when we went to Russia and when we did the Venice show you know which was insane and then I flew straight from the last date in Marseille back to LA to do the Robbie Robertson album and in the middle of which I did Earth Song for Michael Jackson and I was into it was this whole period was just insane my imposter syndrome was through the roof you know because I english kid who wanted to be in a band even something as massive as pink floyd it still felt like a kind of english bandy thing and and so i felt i could blag that but then once i'm in la you know with with all with proper growing gro- you know with people who play on steely dan records you know proper <laughs> grown-ups <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? who can run with scissors and everything and and it was it was ter- my imposter syndrome was through the roof i just always you know and i loved it and I was so insecure, I didn't realize that, you know, actually, so I speak to people, you know, Bruce Gage and people now who I was working with back then and go, no, man, you were cool. We loved you. And I was going, really? Really? I thought you hated me. I thought you were all like, what's he doing here? Um, <laughs> so, guy, why why the bass? What actually got you nothing, interested? Nothing. Nothing interested me in the bass. Nothing at all. I wanted an electric guitar. Simple as so, that. So how I did found- it happen? Well, because I fell in i spent you know I fell in love with uh, it was I had this sort of epiphany uh after the first time I smoked a cigarette and inhaled it on a family holiday and I've, i had to go and lie down I was feeling sick and there was a cassette player by the end of the bed it's my cousin's bedroom I hit play and Bubba O'Reilly came on and that was it that was it that was me done and uh and so I just wanted to wanted to be Pete Townsend you know I wanted the guitar and so i said you know pleaded with my mom i said so can i have an electric guitar and she was like oh no darling why don't you get a nice spanish guitar i said like, spanish Fuck that It's <laughs> was the electric bit i was interested in you know a toaster would have been nearer what i was after than a spanish guitar so um but i thought well if i ask for a bass guitar they're not going to get me a double bass are they and they barely know what it is i barely knew what it was and so you know so they so my de- mum and dad clubbed together and got me for Christmas and birthday, because my birthday's near Christmas, annoyingly. Uh, and so they got me this beautiful, I've this, still gone, actually, it might even be here. It was a Grant copy jazz bass guitar, and it was beautiful. And it was, you know, huge. I mean, I was only 13. It was enormous, this thing. And... Um, and I didn't. And I didn't have an amp or anything. I didn't really know what to do. And you know, and 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 I, I was thinking, if oh, I made a terrible mistake, but you know, they've made a big investment. I can't really go back on it. But then I went back to school after a couple of weeks. And of course, about three or four kids had all got electric guitars for Christmas. I sort of thought, ah, oh, so if anyone wants to be a band, that's up to me. <laughs> 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 and so I picked this guy there was a guy really cool guy from a year above you know it's always a year above isn't it really cool guy called Martin Glover and I, you know and we'd become friends anyway and I said oh, should we start a band so we did and um he later changed his name and became Youth the basis for Killing Joke and legendary producer and label boss and everything that he is and he's still one of my best friends in fact he ended up doing production on the endless river the last Pink Floyd album relationships
0: man relationships you've built plenty yeah
1: yeah i know know. that one's particularly sweet well the the funny thing is is we very rarely work together we're used to writing things and stuff we do the odd bass session but the funny thing is is like we did we did a session together for the endless river for the pink floyd thing and it was just the worst (laughs) worst idea ever because we're going because of course because david was there And it was such a fantastic sort of father figure. And of course, you put me and youth in a room together and we're just back at school immediately. So youth is absolutely trying to produce me way more than he should be. There's no way I'm going to do anything he tells me to do. (laughs) It's just (laughs) pathetic. All right. What
0: is your worst gig ever, man? Can you recall? Oh, I God. mean the moment where you just put your head down and just shook it. No. Oh,
1: um, I can't think no because I don't really like to do things down. Only things that um. <coughs> I can't really, really think. No, the worst, the worst things like that have happened to me since I've, when I was doing my stand-up show. When I was doing my comedy show, um, where well, I had one where I got, I did a gig in a hotel in Marrakech, and I tell, and the place was absolutely heaved, rammed with the entire French expat community. That I was thinking, this is incredible, and then they, as soon as I started talking, they all just ate. All we'll just got with their meals and ignored me and everything because apparently the, the manager had panicked because he wasn't really selling tickets, so he basically put out a message to the entire French expat community of Marrakech that Pink Floyd were playing in his hotel. Oh! And as soon as they realised, it's like, how the fuck are Pink Floyd getting on the stage in a restaurant? <laughs> <laughs> no, you got me. Maybe we should come back to that. Okay, all right, but we'll now, come back really to it. All right, let's
0: flip it though. Let's flip it. What is your best? What is, what is that moment where you're like, well, I, the thing I, is I can't is there's, top this there's
1: thing. The funny thing is that I have a really weird memory lapse to actual gigs. I don't remember actual gigs. It's really weird. There's something about when I come off stage, it goes, you know, that Ah. experience was just there. because I know the ones that should be my best gigs. Do you know what I mean? Which is like when Pink Floyd played Venice, when we played on a fucking giant barge in the lagoon with every gondola in, in Venice parked in front of us crazy and then 200,000 people in San Marcos square and going out live to every country in Europe. But then I think I was just sort of shit scared. And the, I mean, then there's that terrible thing when you're young, cause I, you know, after I, I was, I tend to, you know, oh, the, when we played the palace of Versailles, um, you know, again, that was, you know, absolutely. but I can't really remember that much about it. It was like, it was clearly amazing. It's I think the thing with your best gig is it's kind of, um, it's more the stuff that happens on the way up, and it's, this is the the lovely thing I found from, from doing the podcast I do, when uh, with Gary, because all the English kids we all had the same thing coming up. Like there's a pub called Hope and Anchor, right in North London, and it's where all the punk bands started and Madness. Never everyone came through there, and and first with your band you're just like, oh, Matt, one day, one day we're going to play the Hope and Anchor, and then you play the Hope and Anchor and then the next one is one day we're going to play the marquee, you know, and, and it's, and that stuff is mad. That's the stuff that's really magical. You know, it's more yeah. what's happening on the way out. playing Wembley stadium. Actually the first time I played Wembley stadium, because that's also, because we've been away on tour for nine months and that's the ultimate kind of prodigal. And that, I felt like the prodigal son returning and yeah. Wembley stadium, is Wembley Stadium yes for an Englishman you know yes it was you know it's wearing for won anyone won for anyone yeah, yeah. it's you know. <laughs> and Madison Square Gardens although the front, well the the first the first time I played Madison Square because those are the play it's the places you, you you know from those live albums yeah when you were a kid you know the Budokan the Budokan you know that was like remember the first playing there. And that was a but Madison—I remember with Madison Square Gardens because we came. This is coming off a stadium run with Pink Floyd, and there's that awful arrogant of getting in there. I'm 25 years old, going well, that's smaller than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I got—I have
0: a funny quick story about Madison Square Garden. I, the first time I ever played there, I, I I was like, yes, Madison Square Garden, just like you were saying. You know, mm-hmm. it's uh, iconic. So I get in there, and I, I wasn't told that the gig was a rodeo. So it was a little bit different. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I did end up playing there on a headlining show a few times afterwards, which made up for it. But still, I did.
1: I could. Do you know, yeah. I remember last time I was there with David Gilmore, and I posted a picture of it. Because it's still, it's still, no matter how many times you do it, it's still Madison Square Garden. Yeah. yeah. And, I remember, and I posted a picture of myself backstage with the Madison Square Gardens sign behind me. Right like that and a friend of mine just just replied to it went oh are you watching the basketball <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's so great man
1: um, actually I did once I once got a call for a session right someone said um, and this is when I was really young I didn't know and, and if anyone called up said oh you're a guy you're, you're a bass player yeah yeah, yeah. oh great well, and they found me from the musicians union directory and so you go along to anything you know and it was really exciting and it was in the fucking Moonies HQ <laughs> 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 and it was doing something for the Moonies, and it was like, and it was this weird place where the dormitories and hundreds of people living there, you know, and they had a recording studio in this, in the bowels of this cult. Well, I was, well, I, I was just thinking, I'm not sure this is what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, let's talk, let's
0: talk about gear some more. All right. What do you? Oh, oh, you. Have, I a, have a signature uh, yes amp, i
1: have a signature amplifier like yeah which and it's great it's a really really cool amp i love it. it's with ashdown this this goes back to um the gilmore tour of 2006 when uh, um because mark gooday uh of ashdown has this absolute WEM obsession and i kind of do as well there's this funny because it's that it because you know that Wem invented everything, man. Monitors, side fills, stage—everything fill, we know all comes from from Wem. You know, and the guy was an accordion player. He hated rock and roll, and that, which I love. And you know, the first amp I ever had was a Wem Dominator, um, and it was just so so. And for, I don't know if it's because Phil Taylor, uh, David's our sort of production chief David's tech I think he was annoyed with Ashdown about something so he took the Ashdown logos off my 8x10s and put WEM logos on instead and rather than annoying anyone we loved it, we loved it. also because you know there's the iconic live at Pompeii thing isn't there The panning across the back of all the WEM cabinets with Pink Floyd London on them, right you know just the beastie boys used in their video in fact someone else has as well and so we've always wanted to do, do something that was like a real traditional WEM type thing so the first thing was you know we uh they made these cabinets for me which are like the old WEM PA cabinets they're three by tens with a tweeter in them Oh, so wow. i have two of those it's really okay. cool I mean, it's completely unnecessary but it's really really cool <laughs> and then we and then we <laughs> and uh and then we worked on this amp and just went back to really really traditional design and because um and space is from Sourceful of secrets is because i'm playing all this early floyd stuff and because it's all that's like so we've actually got an input for my moog taurus pedals in the back oh awesome. which i do actually use which i thought was just going to be a thing but it's like actually, actually that really works that's so, um, awesome. yeah, there's that. And, um, yeah, so, I and I've got, a, we all have massive pedal. This is the funny thing, going back to early Pink Floyd, and yet we all have enormous pedal boards, um, you know. Obviously, my MXR Phase 90 is uh, has to be there. Actually, no, I think I'm using a Phase 99. And the, my you know, my volume pedals, of course, I use two volume pedals. <laughs> I have an in and an out. Ah, oh, okay. Because <clears throat> so, I use a lot of delay, and there's that terrible thing. Obviously, I have, uh, because I like to do swells so obviously you have your volume pedal before the delay and i suddenly realize there's times when sometimes you get to the end of something and i've still got 40 seconds of delay happening and i can't turn it off so i (laughs) realise i need another (laughs) rather than just clicking it off so that's why i have got myself an out pedal as well uh what else is on the board uh what else is on the board i've got oh i've got my um i've got two signature pedals actually i've got uh i've got a compressor a a triple band compressor, which I did for Ashdown, which is 18 volt. Um, it's got lots of headroom, but also a pain in the ass for everyone that keeps saying no one wants 18 volt pedals. Um, and uh, I've got a couple of Echo Sex things, a couple of Fox Gear things. I've got a little Echo Sex delay, which is meant to be like a, it's like the old Binson echo Rec thing. Okay. But I use that with a Boss delay for like when we do one of these days, because a digital delay is kind of too clean. And the echo sex is too clangy. You know what I mean? So, the, so I mix the two and then you get this perfect, so you get the nicely defined delay, but with that nice old tape drum, you know, degradation on it. And then I've, d- I've done a signature uh, tremolo just for the oh. middle section of one of these days, you know, for that bit. Uh, it's called the knee trembler, which is a terrible old English gag, which is, you know, a shag around the back of the pub. Um, <laughs> They're Italian. They have no idea. It's called the <laughs> knee trembler. Yes, yeah, really good guy. <laughs> oh, they that, no means it, that means that means for <laughs> bass. It makes <laughs> those <laughs> knees tremble. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah. no, that's not what it is. Yeah. Uh, right. But but what's funny? Again, this is something. This actually because you know I don't. And it's it's a, because the the actual trembler they used on the original record. I, th- I think it was uh, might have been Roger Mayer built it because it's not like it's a lot more vicious than an actual trembler. It's more like a gate. So, and you know, so they've copied that really well. And again, this is something I'm only ever going to use it for one of these days, right? I'm never going to use a treble on anything else. So, this thing actually needs no knobs. Ah, okay. right? do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. I want that, I want full depth and I want that speed. Got it. That's all. It, this thing, you know, literally you could save two euros by taking the knobs off. But, um, <laughs> but and also, and it's sold quite a lot. And I, I'm guessing that it's because, of course, because um you know because Pink Floyd tribute bands are an industry to them you know now there's thousands of them in Italy alone so I guess that's who's buying it
0: yeah
1: um and then I've got uh uh I've got a Dimension C um just because I'm an 80s boy and always love the dimension do you? and I shouldn't really have a chorus on anything but I just feel weird having it in there in the same re- for the same reason I have an OC2 Just because I'm Guy Pratt, you know what I mean. I've got an OC 2 I mean, I don't really use that. That should be
0: your answer to every question today. Today, no. Because I'm Guy Pratt. Pratt.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Now people have you down for an asshole pretty quick. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, that's Um, and I've got a TC subbing up um and actually i've and i've got uh, because i only because the thing the great thing about the um uh the interstellar 600 my amp is it's got really great valve on it really really nice dirty valve so for a lot of stuff where i used to use you know have to use a pedal i can just get it off the amp mm. but i've got a couple i've got a drive of yours which i use sometimes um which one is that? that's not the sugar drive is it no yeah 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 i use that sometimes and i've got this boss digital i swap out my my drives and uh and i've got a cali 76 compressor because it's just because they're fantastic mm. and i and i use a but but my always on the thing i go through is um is my demeter compulator ah okay okay just because do you know why why Be- because that's david's always on compressor so it's obviously uh, i mean There's i see just go not look at you know what? This is one of the things you work with David Gilmore, man. You just go look at his ball and go, well, that's all, all right. Well, I'll just do that then. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yes. But you so know you, what I thought you were going to
0: say, though? You know why? Because I'm Guy Pratt. I'm, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, because he's David Gilmore. Right. That's, yes, that is true.
0: That is true.
1: That's a better answer. Yeah, yeah. that's true. What about strings? Uh, strings, I've always, I'm, I've never been, a big i'm not really um i don't really get bothered about strings the only thing i used to i used labella used to do these quarter rounds which were fantastic for fretless uh other than that i just use i use elites 40 to 100 um stadium steels and i use it on everything i was i just i'm just a creature of habit Got what's it. interesting is i've noticed that i used to because um for this gig I'm playing Rickenbackers for the first time oh wow just to be method so the songs from 67 to 70 I play on a Rickenbacker and it's funny because the Rickenbacker was the first thing I fell in love with as a bass you know when I discovered rock and roll was the the two things you know the the icons for me were were the, the the Sunburst Les Paul and the Rickenbacker and I think it was you know Chris Squire and Pete Townsend and um and I never owned either (laughs) <laughs> it's pretty funny. I just never, <laughs> never got round to having eyes with them, And now I got, and, and so I got a really nice um, 75, 4001 Rickenbacker, but then the thing, they don't like round mounts, do they? That's that thing that the tailpiece pulls up and the trust. that's why, and I think it's basically because of that, that's the main design difference in the 4003. It's that can accommodate round, round strings, apparently. Okay. Okay. So I now, have, so I've got a couple of 4003s and uh Yeah couple of precisions it's the two bases i don't really like i have to play for this but you know i'm i'm method now i'm not like 80s guy where it's like yeah fuck it i'm gonna play dark side of the moon on a spectre <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, it, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna play shine on you crazy diamond on a music man i don't care <laughs> <laughs> you know, you mate, what were you thinking what <laughs> were you thinking everyone must have hated you and they were right to do you know why because i'm guy Pratt. Brad- <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. What advice um, would you give uh, some some bass players out there just starting off or bass players out there that have been doing it a while?
1: Oh, God, I really don't know. But, I mean, A, because the problem is the music, because, you know, like my son, I mean, he's at university, but he's he's got a band and he's putting out records and this stuff. And, and I don't know what this music business is. I I really you know what I mean I I don't know if I would have done it if I was 18 I just because it used to be so obvious what you did and you went and made you you know and there were sessions and stuff whereas I I don't really know how it works in terms of musician advice it, um I think would just be play with as many people as you possibly can you know as a bass player. because being a bass player is all about learning to listen you know and Absolutely. learning to take yourself out of the equation so you know good. Good good advice. You know, the the funny thing. There's two things, right? There's great quotes, and there's the thing you actually believe, (laughs) and they're seldom, they're seldom the same thing. I mean, I came up with this quote years ago, and I suddenly realised that is just so not true of your playing in any way, shape, or form. But it is actually quite a good rule, which I once said that a great bass player is like a great waiter. You don't know he's there; shit just gets done. Ah, and I suddenly realised it's like really because in by that. By that metric, you are the worst waiter there has ever been. You were just in everyone's face the whole time. <laughs> you crack me up, man. That's where that's where someone like um, that's someone like Jameson is an alchemist, because when you know you take some of that base and you put it in isolation, and it's like, what is he actually doing? He's it, it's everything he's doing. It's 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 kind of like um, when I had to with. Um, when we had uh, Crosby and Nash come and sing with David Gilmour. And then in fact, for the rest of the tour, they'd done harmonies on this song on an island. And when they weren't there, I had to do David Crosby's harmony, right? The so Crosby harmony is insane, right? It, it's, it's, um, you, it's like, because, you know, I do a lot of backing vocals and I can come up with a harmony and there's the obvious ones you go to, your third, your fifth, whatever. Whereas the Crosby one is like, if you take it out of the song, it's, this thing was not, it's just maths. It was it's like, you know, but then you put it in the song and it's like, bang! Oh, wow. You know, this amazing thing. And, and I think Jameson had that as well. It's, he's not trying to do anything about himself. There's not, you know, it's like that thing. He never plays the same thing twice, but it does the same thing. And it's when you get to the, the end of the song. And, you know, the bass has meant so much, but you don't really know what the baseline was. That's kind of it. Like, you know, what's going on? You know, for instance, yeah. that's the ultimate. And I did actually, uh, I, we got a private tour of the Motown studios. And I did actually ask them, they could tell me the exact spot where he had to lie on the floor because he was too drunk to sit on a chair and play that bass line. And I did lie on the floor there in honor of games. <laughs> I, I, I want to do that as well, actually. I love that story. I love that story. No, uh, I know, but listen but I used to use that as an excuse all the time And it's a, it's a really, really bad excuse No, but, this, but James James Apparently, he's so drunk but he's kind of, like, Mate, you're not You're not James James Go home <laughs> Here's some
0: coffee And some water Yeah, uh,
1: exactly, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Nice try, not even close
0: Guys, that's our show for today. Thank you for joining us. Stay healthy and kind, spread love, good vibes and inspiration. And remember you got this, follow your path and just play. I'm Josh Paul, hope to see you out there sometime soon. And thank you to Dunlop for making the show possible. And be sure to check out Bass Freaks wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers to you.